Well, good morning. Good morning. Hey. We're going to go ahead and begin here in the next few moments. Several have been asking. There is, there's not a handout this morning, so you'll uh, hopefully be able to take, take your own notes as we walk through Leviticus chapter 10. So before we begin, let's, let's pray, or as we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this Lord's Day. Uh, we gather to worship you, um, to make much of you, to glorify you, to honor you. Um, we're mindful, even in the scriptures, of, of what a weighty responsibility that is, that, that we are to worship you rightly. And I, I pray that that would be abundantly clear in the text that we look at this morning, and it would even inform our, our gathered worship today, that we'd seek to be obedient to the scriptures and worship you in spirit and truth. And so I just pray this would be a helpful time as we open up the text and think carefully about the events that unfold in Leviticus chapter 10. That you are um, glorious, and I pray that we would find much delight in, in glorifying you and serving you all our days. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, well, that's a good question. The qu- are we in Leviticus? We will be. Our, the bulk of our time will be in Leviticus chapter 10, but we are going to begin at the end of Exodus this morning, just to remind ourselves of context. But you'll remember that when we, we began, we, we established that we, the context of Leviticus is very significant for us. And so if you look at the very end of Exodus 40, you're reminded of something very significant. So let's just go there, Exodus chapter 40, and let's look at verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, as you walk through Exodus and you be mindful of all the instructions that were given about um, constructing the tabernacle, um, furnishing the tabernacle, uh, functions that would take place in the tabernacle. It was going to represent, you know, God was going to, um, his presence would be with them. And here at the very end of Exodus, you see this taking place where, where the glory of the Lord indeed fills the tabernacle. And so this tent of meeting that will, that will be with the Israelites as they, as they are in um, the wilderness, you have the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. Then the prepositions matter in the next verse, verse 35. You, you see Moses not able to enter into the tent of meeting because the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. So then when you move into the very beginning of Leviticus, verse 1 is also significant in regards to, again, Moses' physical, like, presence. Where is Moses at the beginning of Leviticus 1? The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So, so you have the glory of the Lord inside this tent of meeting, and, and Moses is, is outside of the tent. And so then you're, you're seeing this problem being solved in Leviticus. How are they going to rightly draw near to God? If God is going to dwell with them, how, how are they able to approach God rightly in, in a way that, it, that is not going to be responded with, with judgment. And so those first seven chapters of Leviticus, as you talked about two weeks ago, you see all of this, this detail, the specifics of the sacrificial system. And so there's an explanation given over those seven chapters with many details that are to be carried out obediently of how the ordinary Israelites are going to bring acceptable offerings to God. And so you have these acceptable offerings that are to be given to God, but it's going to be the role of the priest to, to administer these offerings. But you don't have priests yet. Well, Moses has, is in a way functioning as this priest, but you don't have priests. Chapters one through seven, you have the, the specifics about the offerings. What are these sacrifices to be and, and who's going to do them? So then, again, if chapters one through seven are starting to answer this problem of how are we going to approach God rightly, 
Then you move into chapters 8 through 10, and now, now this next equation is being solved. Now we have the sacrifices set up in detail, what the sacrifices are to be and how they're to be done in chapters 1 through 7. So then when you move into chapters 8 and 9, you're reading of this ministry of the priesthood. And so the priests are going to be the ones who administer these sacrifices. And so just as much as details and specifics were given in chapters 1 through 7 about the sacrifices, then in chapters 8, 9, and then we'll, as we'll see in chapter 10, there's very much detail and instruction and review of what the role of the priest will be in regards to these sacrifices. So within these chapters of 8, 9, and 10, we are being instructed about the ministry of the priests. And so there's clear and specific regulations given to the priests, guidance on how the priests are to conduct themselves, instruction on how they're to execute these duties that are given from God. And um, there's a pattern that's going to be really helpful for us. If we're about to jump into chapter 10, I want us just to see a pattern that we begin to get very used to in chapters 8 and 9. And this pattern abruptly changes in, ver in chapter 10. So let's just observe this pattern real quick and, and see if you can, well, well you'll, you'll, there's not going to be any mystery to it because I'm I'm going to select different portions of these verses. Just start in chapter 8. So this is in the section of this ministry of the priesthood, the, this, the instruction given to priests. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. And, here's, and as you move through what the Lord spoke to Moses, you're seeing instruction. Take Aaron. Um, then it talks about the sin offering. He tells him about to perform the sin offering. He tells them to assemble, in verse 3, assemble all the congregation. So there's all this instruction given, and you see at the beginning, the Lord spoke to Moses. And so the Lord speaks to Moses and tells Moses what to do. And so you have take, assemble, offer, these different commands that are given as the Lord spoke to Moses. And then look down at verse uh, 4. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Okay, so instruction, command is given. And then the pattern is command and then fulfillment. Moses obeys. Okay, that's the first example of it in, in this priestly instruction is just those first four verses. Well, this pattern continues nine times in chapters eight and nine, where the Lord speaks to Moses or the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron and then Moses and Aaron do all that the Lord commanded. So just watch, watch it happen again. Start in verse 5. Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Here's what's commanded to be done, even is what verse 5 says. Moses is saying, God has spoken. Here's what he said to do. And then you watch them do what God has commanded. So go down to verse 9. He set the turban on his head. And on the turban in front, he set the golden plate and the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 13, as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 17, as the Lord commanded Moses. So in each of these, these sections, you're seeing um, God tell Moses what to do, and then they do it to the T, like they're very obedient. And so again, as I said, this is a pattern. Uh, even in verse 18, he presents the ram. Well, why did he do that? We'll look down at verse 21, as the Lord commanded Moses. Each of these sections, the activity that's taking place is what the Lord has commanded Moses to do. And so Moses, whether he does it or tells Aaron that like, this is what is taking place in both chapters 8 and 9. And in each one, it's they do exactly as the Lord has commanded. So nine times throughout these two chapters, command fulfillment. And I thought this is a helpful statement from one of the commentators that I was reading, Gordon Winham. He says, at this point, the whole narrative between chapters 8 and following has led us to expect that God's ministers will obey the law promptly and they will obey the law perfectly. 
Exactly, actually is the word he uses. So, so you have this expectation of the priest that they are going to obey God's commands perfectly, exactly, and uh, quickly. You know, they're, they're not going to delay. Kind of even just mindful, even as like parents, when you're talking to your kids about, you know, obey, obedience. It's our first time obedience. You know, you're like, obey, you know, right away, obey all the way, obey with a happy heart. You know, that's kind of parental expectation of kids and, and certainly like this priestly function here in, with God's people. This is how God expects them to obey is that they're going to obey all the way and they're going to do it right away. And we'll even see the motives behind what they do to be that, that it would be um, with a happy heart. You know, they're not doing it begrudgingly. So that's the pattern that's very helpful to acknowledge because even if chapter 10 is somewhat of a familiar story to you, realize this is very abrupt, what we see changing when we get into chapter 10. The, there's this pattern of command and fulfillment is going to pause for one event and then it will start back right away. Uh, this command fulfillment pattern will continue after, after what we read in, um, in the first few verses of chapter 10. Well, move down then to the very end of chapter 9, just to prepare ourselves for, for chapter 10. Go to verse 18. Um, Moses, no, I'm sorry, Aaron is sacrificing the peace offering. Why does he do this, by the way? As the Lord commanded. That's right. So he does as the Lord commanded. Actually, even here, it's, you know, as Moses is commanded. Moses is commanded, as God speaks to Moses, tells Moses what to tell Aaron to do. And Aaron does exactly as Moses has, has commanded. So he's offered this peace offering in, in an obedient fashion. In verse 22, let's read from here to the end of the chapter. And remind yourself, Moses, up to this point, you know, they, he was... He was not able to enter into the tent of meeting prior to, to God setting up all of these procedures. And so then in verse 22, you see Aaron lifting up his hands toward the people and he blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. What we're about to spend our time on is chapter 10. And, and there are so many parallels in chapters 10, 1 through 3, and what we just read in chapter 9, 22 and following. So I would like to just make some observations about what we just read so that we'll really note these parallels as we move into chapter 10. So, so as a group, we're looking at verses 22 through 24 of chapter 9. What are some of the observations you make from this? After the sacrifices are offered, what do you see from Moses and Aaron in this section of verse 22 and following? Okay, good. That's, they, you see them going into the tent of meeting. So they went in the tent of meeting. What else did they do? They came out. That's right. So they're really going to be um, very obvious but what's going to be significant is that it's not so obvious later when somebody goes into the tent of meeting. So as Jason just said, they go in, they also come out. Okay, so they go into the tent of meeting and they came out. And what did they do when they came out? Bless the people. Okay, well, let's see if all this works. What do you see from God? You just observe what we see from these priests and Aaron as the high priest, but what do you see from God in these verses 22 and following? God accepts the sacrifice. That's right. It, you, it's very obvious that this is approval from God. He accepts the sacrifice. They have, he has commanded it, and they have fulfilled it in an obedient fashion. And so he has accepted their sacrifice. And so in accepting their sacrifice, what specifically takes place uh, in regards to God and his presence with the people. Fire, right? 
fire came out from before the Lord. What for? To, to consume the offering. Really interesting, these, these words that we're, gonna, that we're reading in 9, we're going to read in chapter 10 as well. But the fire came out from before the Lord, and that fire consumed the offering. And what all was this in relationship to demonstrating? What, what else is taking place from God? What's appearing to everyone? The glory of the Lord. So God is glorified amongst the people in accepting this sacrifice. He has, he has accepted the sacrifice. The glory of the Lord appears to all the people and fire has um, consumed the offering. And what is the response from the people? Shouting and they fell on their faces. So you're seeing fear of the Lord, worship of the Lord, and that worship and fear is demonstrated by shouting and falling on their faces. God's glory has been put on display and the people worship God for it. So chapter nine ends with triumph. Exodus ended where God is in the tent of meeting. Moses can't go in. Leviticus one begins. God is in the tent of meeting, speaking to Moses outside the tent. And then now at the end of chapter nine, Moses and Aaron have gone into the tent of meeting. They have come out of the tent of meeting and God has approved of all of it because what they did was exactly what God had commanded in regards to these sacrifices. And so God is glorified and the people worship. God has accepted this sacrifice. And so the word that you would use to characterize this tone here is triumph. You know, there's, there's triumph on display at the end of chapter 9. Moses and Aaron do all that God has commanded. They enter in the tabernacle. God approves. God's glory is put on display. People worship God. So then, in dramatic fashion, you see uh, tragedy. Triumph followed by tragedy. It's not a pattern that is um, isolated in the scriptures. But let's now go into chapter 10. And y'all did so well with these observations from chapter 9 really want us to think through parallels from everything you just said about 9, 22 and following with 10, 1 through 3. So let me read it and then we will observe. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Okay. If you're getting used to just Levitical language and priestly functions, roles, what they're to do, it's very interesting about how all of these these, um, actions that are taking place are very much priestly actions. There's not a whole lot of surprising activity from Nadab and Abihu for you to read that they, they, uh, they took, they put, they laid, they offered, all of those are, are words that are used time, in and t- uh, time, time and time again in, in priestly role in chapters 8 and 9. But, but what is very much a shock to us is that all of this stuff that they did uh, is not followed up with, you know, as the Lord had commanded. So you're seeing in verse 2 that the great offense here, that, that everything that they did, they took their censer, they put fire in it, they laid incense on it, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And so just disobedience, in fact, presumption, disregard for the commands of the Lord on display here. Um, they do they perform an offering to the Lord, even um, before the Lord, I'm sorry. They offer this fire before the Lord, and it is it's just disobedience. It is um, an offense to God. It is um, worthy of God's judgment. So what parallels do you see from 
from verses uh, 9, 22 and following with chapter 10, verses one through three, that my questions at the beginning were, uh, in regards to this offering, what do you see from the priests in chapter nine? So let's do the same thing here in chapter 10, in regards to this offering, what do you see from the priests? Yeah, that's right. So if, if uh, Aaron and Moses went in and then came out, and you're like, well, that's pretty obvious, you know. You swim down to the bottom of the pool. You come up from the top, from the bottom of the pool, right? You know, you're used to both of those activities. You go into the tent. You come out of the tent. Well, here with Nadab and Abihu, they go in. They do not um, come out, okay? Um, and they do not bless the people uh, as, as that took place. Okay, so what, what do you see from God? And I'll say this. In chapter 9, here are the things y'all, y'all said. You, you spoke of fire. In chapter 9, you talked of consuming and you talked of the glory of the Lord being put on display in chapter 9. So in chapter 10, uh, what observations do you make in regards to what you see from God in, in this event? Yeah, Rick. Fire again. Yeah, Rick. So I was going to say, uh, judgment can also glorify God. This is very significant because that, there, God is glorified at the end of chapter 9. Would you say anything different here? No, God is glorified. God puts his glory on display. And as Rick is saying, this is God's glory in judgment. So at the end of chapter 9, you have this triumph going on. It's like God's glory in blessing upon his people. Uh, It's the same reality here. God's glory in judgment here by by judging Nadab and Abihu. So you have all three. Again, the glory of the Lord indeed appears to all the people. Uh, God is glorified. Fire comes out from before the Lord. Uh, and that fire consumes, uh, where in chapter 9 it was this offering, in chapter 10 it's these two disobedient priests. Yeah. Um, the precision of God's way, he provided for them a way to be in his presence and experience his pleasure rather than his wrath because they deserve his wrath as we do so they now go to try to be before his presence not considering presumptively not considering that he's provided a way they try to make their own way yeah if we've said over and over there's there's lots of of gospel parallels here i I feel like that's that's one right there too and you have god has provided the way and it's an act of mercy and grace and it's very presumptive and, and deadly to think that um, you can negotiate the terms, come in your own way. Yeah. Uh, Interesting, verse 24 of the previous chapter, the same verbiage, then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the offering. Mm-hmm. Verse 2 of the next chapter, then the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. <coughs> Yes. The previous it consumed the substitute. It's yeah. still it's, it's the judgment in the sense of picture of judgment consuming the substitute rather than. Hmm. Yeah. Jim. So it doesn't really say how much time passed between chapters nine and ten. But it, since Aaron and his son still had oil on them and they couldn't leave the tent, it appears that these guys, Nadab and Abihu, were in the midst of an act of religious fervor. So. So this is probably the same day, and because like that. So comes out from and and consumes the offering, and these guys go, hey, yes, they put stuff on, run in there with it, you know, thinking that this is they can just do whatever they want to do. That's right. But and they were fervent and they were sincere, but this is not what God commanded, and so it dishonored him in the sight in the, in the sight of the people. And it seems like most of the Old Testament is, is concerned with people knowing. Uh, God saying, then they will know that I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. That's right. So much to, to just benefit from, as, as to, to learn from, from a folly on display from someone else. But you're right. This is very much, in fact, what we'll see in chapter 10, that not only in performing sacrifices, certainly a role of the priest, but there is... Uh, teaching that is part of the priestly role as well. And so there, there's much to learn from this event and that the people, people are to learn from this. And, and um, 
it, there are certain things that are, that are very clear, certain things that we know, and there are certain things that we are very curious about, I think, in chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. What, what, what do we know from 1 through 3 in regards to what Nadab and Abihu did? God had commanded. Yes, that's right. That's, that really is what we know. That, that what they did, because there is, like I said, all of those different statements that are made are, are, are instructions about different offerings. There's even instruction about incense. There, there's offering about, or there's instruction about timing. There's instruction about location. There's instruction about uh, materials, all of that. And, and all of it has some close uh, closeness to it in here, but what we know is why was this such a great offense? It's because they uh, did not do what God had commanded them. So what leaves you curious then in, in verses 1 and 2 and 3, really? Here's what you know. What they did was not commanded from the Lord. What are you curious about from this? Yes, Gary. I guess I'm not curious, but in at the end of the other one, the sacrifices, that seems to be time-consuming and, and sacrificing animals and all that stuff where what they did in 1 through 3 is much easier, uh, you know, just making sense. Okay. Kind of not going through the whole process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of taking the, uh, the easy road or something like that. Interesting. Anyone, you know, anyone curious about this unauthorized fire, yeah, it's, you know, there's, what, was, what was it that was unauthorized? And, and we really, we don't, we don't know. There, there's all sorts of reasons why we could guess why this would be a great offense. Later on, there's going to be some immediate commands in verse 9 about what not to do when you go in to make sacrifices. And one of those things is when you are, as a priest, you are not to perform your functions under the influence of alcohol. You know, so, and the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink. Uh, and so then to Jim's point, if you're seeing, man, this is exciting. You know, we just, we're, Moses and Aaron just went in and they came out and God's approving of it. Uh, hypothetically, you can, it's not hard to picture these other priests thinking, I'm going to go in and do it too. And they weren't thinking because they may have been intoxicated. And again, understand what I'm saying, may have been. You don't know. Maybe that's what it is. You move down to chapter 16. And when you start talking about the day of atonement, it, it begins with uh, a statement that may even help us to think a little clearly about this. It says in chapter 16, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. So perhaps they try and who goes into the Holy of Holies? Well, it's going to be the high priest. And it's going to be on the Day of Atonement. Um, chapter 16 says, when these two tried to draw near to the Lord, so maybe Moses and Aaron come out, God's glory is on display, and they, they go in with uh, incense burning, attempting to go into the Holy of Holies. Perhaps they go in drunk. Perhaps they just, uh, just weren't thinking at all, right? And they just figured, this is exciting. I'm going to go and do likewise. All sorts of possibilities, but what is clear is that this is very much an offense to God, and it very much is agreed upon by those who care about the glory of the Lord. Because Moses says, man, this is what God has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. That actually, I think I've always just kind of glance past. I haven't thought too carefully about this, but when you're talking about those who draw near to me, you're seeing this reality of this is the role of the priests. They, they um, represented the people and they, they were closer to God when you think physically of the tent of meeting. And so these priests would go, they, they were, it was acceptable before God for them to be closer to the presence of God. And so think of what is being said there then when it says, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. The closer to God, the stricter the judgment. You know, we're held to a, a stricter judgment. I mean, there's going to be New Testament realities there even for, for pastors and for, for teachers, but even for all of us who are uh, children of God, you know, judgment begins with the, the, the house of God. 
Uh, and so you're seeing this stricter judgment upon these two priests because they were those who were near me. And so I will be sanctified is what God is saying there. And so God is glorified among all the people because of this. And so Aaron just lost his two sons, two, two of his sons. He has others. And, and his response is right. And his response is God glorifying. And, and his response is this, Aaron held his peace. Okay, I, I would imagine we're gonna spend some application time at the end on those first three verses. But let's go ahead and march through um, more of this chapter. Let's look now at verses four through seven. Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. I'll go ahead and pause here for just one second. Um, priests were not to touch dead bodies. Certainly the high priest was not to touch dead bodies. But there, there, there's instruction given when it's a family member. It would have even been right. There, there would have been a reason for the two other brothers that we'll read about later in chapter 10 that could have, based upon God's commands, uh, they could have carried out these two brothers. But what, what God has commanded here is that it's not to be his brothers. It's to be these two who are actually cousins. Uh, these two cousins are to carry out Nadab and Abihu. But don't miss how they do it. Ver verse 5, they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. So if you're thinking about this, and fire consumes two bodies. And these bodies were wearing clothing that was instructed by the Lord for what they're to wear when they go in and to perform their roles as priests. And then you see them being carried out. And how are they carried out of the sanctuary? In this clothing. Does that strike you as miraculous? Uh, astounding and burning bush type realities, you know, like on fire yet not being consumed. The, they were consumed. Just as Jason pointed out, the offering was consumed. Nadab and Abihu were consumed. And then they're carried out. They're burned. They're carried out by their clothing. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. Verse six, let's continue. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, so Aaron and his two sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, um, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled and do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So we are back very quickly into our pattern that we need to be in. God commands and they do everything that the Lord commands. So, so instruction is given, uh, come, uh, carry, do not let, uh, on and on, these different commands. And then at the end of it, it says, and they did according to the word of Moses. You better believe they did you know, after what, what just happened. And so, so right away, all the way type of obedience. <clears throat> what are they commanded not to do? Mourn. Mourn. Why? What's the, what's the biblical pattern you, know, you see in the scripture for, you know, we, we, uh, for, you know, mourning is, is, is not an offense to God. It's, we, we mourn um, but not without hope, but you see mourning taking place, even here in this section. There, does mourning it take place here? Yes. All of Israel is to mourn what happened here. But, but Moses says to Aaron and to his two sons to not mourn. So what, why would you say this is command from the Lord? 
for Aaron and his two sons. Well, initially, I just think of the fact that we're supposed to love God more than anything. Yes, right. Somebody else was about to say something. God's judgment for disobedience. That's right. So what might be communicated here, if, if God's glory is on display and you have priests uh, mourning God's glory being on display, it's going to communicate that, that you don't agree with God. Uh, this mourning had to communicate that what God has done is right, what God has done is just, and, and this is what was to be done. And so in their teaching role, they are not to give any sort of, of um, impression that what God did was, was in the wrong. And so they are not to participate in this mourning. In fact, they are to continue in their ministry uh, as, as priests. So they are not even to leave. Uh, do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting. So, so they're to stay in, in the, inside the tent of meeting. Do not go outside the entrance. And if they do, God's going to kill them. And they're not thinking, ah, probably not. You know, they know God, God, God is going to kill them if they disobey. Okay, so then let's, let's continue. Verses 8 and following. Um, the Lord spoke to Aaron. Worth pointing out here too, by the way, this is the only time that the Lord speaks only to and directly to Aaron. So it's always been Moses and Moses talks to Aaron or it's Moses and Aaron. But here the Lord speaks to Aaron and he says to Aaron, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes, all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So helpfully here in verses 8 through 11, um, you see some of the role that you're going to continue to read about as we move on here in Leviticus. So you know that the priests are to carry out these sacrifices and in an obedient fashion, do it exactly the way that God has commanded. That's the priest's role. But you're also going to then move into chapter 11, and you're going to see that the priest's role was one of distinguishing uh, th certain things. And so they, as you read here, are to distinguish between the holy and the common. They're to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. So when we jump into 11, that's exactly what's going to be going on, the um, distinguishing between unclean and clean. And then as holiness as the theme, you're certainly going to continue to see a distinguishing between the holy and the common. And so that is part of the priestly role. But don't lose sight of this third aspect too. What else are the priests to do? They're to teach. And so that's reminded of Aaron here. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So reminders here given to Aaron directly from the Lord upon just losing two of his sons uh, in, in, an in disobedience to the Lord. 12 through 18, Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. This is review but we are mindful of these priestly privileges that are, that are given to the priests. When I'm saying this is a review, I mean to the priests. Maybe not to you, you're thinking, it doesn't sound a uh, review to me. But um, the priests had been given this instruction. Moses is giving them this, this uh, a reminder of the, the privileges that they are to 
partake of as, as priests. And so there's certain sacrifices that would be performed and then the priests were to eat. Sometimes the sacrifice was to be burned. Sometimes it was determined whether the, if, if blood was sprinkled on the inside or outside of the tent of meeting, that would determine whether the sacrifice was to be consumed, burned up for the Lord, or if portions of it were to be eaten by the priest. So anyway, this is all just talking about these priestly privileges that have not been forfeited. You can imagine Aaron's probably tempted to think, well, boy, my sons have really ruined this for the Levites. We've lost, you know, these, these privileges. We've lost these responsibilities, this role. And so Moses is telling them of their, these, these roles, um, what they, what they, what they're to do. They're to eat uh, this meat. Um, they were entitled to eat this meat. Okay, 16. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is the thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. He really just kind of flew through something that might leave you with a lot of questions. We began chapter 10 with disobedience. Uh, and their motive does indeed matter in this disobedience because you end chapter 10, let's go ahead and say it, with disobedience, right? So Nadab and Abihu, presumptive um, disregard, um, carelessness in regards to the commands of God. They go in and do whatever they want and they're consumed for it. At the end of chapter 10, the priestly privileges, if, if sacrifices were offered in a particular way, sometimes, as I said, they were to be burned up. Other times, they were to be eaten. And in, in, in this setting, based on how this sin offering was performed, they should have eaten the meat. Yet, they didn't. They, they burned the offering, this sacrifice. They did not eat it. And Moses is angry uh, because they did not obey why did they not obey when, you, when you're reading Aaron's response? Was it presumption? Right, that God is holy, clearly. And, and our, we as priests have sinned against him. And it's my two sons or it's my two brothers. You know, that's what Aaron and these two sons would be thinking. And so you're seeing fear of the Lord on display. But, uh, but, but they, they do not do it. Uh, exactly as commanded, but they are not consumed for it. So you are seeing mercy on display from God because even Moses approves of their explanation uh, when, when Aaron is saying, you know, uh, where is it? Behold, today they've offered their sin offering, their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. It's been a long day. <laughs> it's kind of Aaron's point. Um, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? He's saying, based on the events that just unfolded with my two sons, if I would have jumped in and been like, man, being a priest is quite the life. I get this delicious meat. You know, or I'm, I don't mean to make this, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but just you see what Aaron's thinking. Like there were priestly privileges and this has been a bad day for priests. And so, so I think Aaron is very hesitant to partake of the privileges of being a priest. And so there's questions in his mind motivated by the fear of the Lord. Do I perform this to my benefit on behalf of the people, but where I get these privileges? You know, this has been a, a learning day, a, a difficult day. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? There's uncertainty in Aaron's mind if eating would have been an offense to God. And so he does not eat as he was commanded. But, but it's interesting to see Moses' response. He hears the explanation and Moses heard it and he approved. So I think there's very much a difference between verses one through three, presumption, 
No fear of the Lord. The end of chapter 10, fear of the Lord, um, and they're not consumed. There's a lot of uh, takeaways, I, I think, from, from a section like this. What, what are you left with in, in your mind as you even think just the importance of, do you think there's presumption that goes on today in, in, a, in worship to the Lord? And that's where my mind goes. Yeah, I see lots of people nodding their heads. Yeah, I mean, has God given us, we're, we're, not, we're not, you know, Old Testament Israel, we're, we're not um, following through the, these Levitical sacrifices and the role, the specific roles of these Levitical priests. But in the New Testament, God has given us instruction for what is to take place when we gather. It's certainly not, um, you know, the detail and specifics of, you know, do just as I has commanded. But think of the things that are clear. When we gather, what are some things we're to do when we gather? that aren't optional. That's right. Give attention to the public reading of scripture. And, and are you, uh, what, what certain activity in, in worship, like singing, praying? Very good. Yes. And we're told, this, then we're talking, we, we see that we're, you know, giving um, in regards to the word, not only is it to be read, but it is to be Okay, very good. Applied and obeyed and um, preached. You know, preach the word. And, and so it's hard to, you know, just think about so many churches that would, would think, you know, it's really just about, you know, my, my motives here. I, I can approach God, you know, on my own terms. We can do things that, that would appear to be convenient and attractive to bring other people in. They're, they're more of a, let, let's give it a shot. Let's try it. Rather than, what does God's word say about what we're to do when, when we gather? You know, maybe, maybe Nate having a Bihu are like, let's give it a shot. That, that looks like a, something I want, I want to do too today. Uh, I came to Abel. You know, God's always had a way. And it's, you know, I mean, so men come their own way, what seems right on them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, Bobby. Even like today, uh, we're cautioned not to eat the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Right. There are results. There's some that sleep and many that are have health issues because they eat in an unworthy manner. And a lot of times it's just flipping. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because Aaron and his son seem to be the exact parallel of you know eating the sin offering, which is Christ as our. You know, they felt they were unworthy. Hmm. Aaron and his sons. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Ken. How would you compare what happened here to what happens later on, several years later, with the Ark of the Covenant, where the two gentlemen tried to steady it when it started to fall, and God's glory was on display there, and dead immediately as well, and they were seemingly doing something that was. Yeah, I mean, it's about to fall on the ground. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Based on when I when you are seeing. It's clearly not fear of the Lord at the beginning of 10. At the end, you're seeing uh, fear of the Lord, but, but it was disobedience. So then you're asking later, was, was there no fear of the Lord in that? I mean, you just see, I think it is that God's holiness is, is for, for the, there is presumption going on there to think that, that, um, that, that he would be a better option than the dirt, you know, to touch the, the Ark of the Covenant, you know what I mean? But so God's holiness is what, is on display and being taught. And so there are parallels, but, but yeah, it is disobedience and it was um, God's holiness that had to be put on display in striking him dead. They had instruction on how to carry the ark. Like to yeah. Yeah. So just, yeah, okay, so just disregard for the law against him. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Good comments. Yeah, Jim. I was, <clears throat> I was thinking, though, if, if the... Uh, operations of that temple and its arrangement were all pointing toward Christ. It would have been important to not change that and let it mutate through the ages because later on Jesus was going to explain how all these things pointed to him. So for God to make sure that, that didn't change, I think it was important. And for this reason, in Exodus 30, God told Moses that only Aaron was to bring incense before the Lord on that altar of incense. And he had to do it morning and night. 
no other, per, no other per, person but the high priest could approach God in that way. And in Ephesians, uh, was it 5, five two, Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God. And when you, when you see that line passing from um, the temple all the way through Jesus Christ, it sort of lets you understand that you can't... Now there's something God wanted to make sure God saw, seen. Mm -hmm. in, in all of this and it wasn't to be mutated at people's own will no. yeah um, one more comment and then yeah uh, in this he's saying you will know the difference between the holy and the profane and, and that applies to us now it's not it's not the outward things or the detailed activities it it's that are is what we're doing proclaiming God's holiness and his word or do we bring the world into the church and put it up there with God? I think that's that's important thing for us to understand, which is related to the, the sacrament, certainly of Holy Communion as well. Yes. So this this is a a weighty section in Leviticus, and so then it, it continues that you. you you see um, much of the holiness of God uh, from the rest of this in Leviticus. There's going to be so much about God's holiness, and it certainly was demonstrated clearly in chapter 10. So next week, we'll, we'll jump in with, with this clean and unclean distinction. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. You're you will be glorified, and you're worthy of our praise. God, I pray that we would be a people who rightly worship you, um, that we would seek to be obedient to what you've commanded of us, that we'd find great delight and safety in, in, in uh, obeying you, blessing in obeying you. God, may we guard against uh, disobedience. May we certainly battle against presump presumption, indifference, um, carelessness, with your word. God, may we be people of the word and may we obey it um, to your glory and for our good. May the, the events that unfolded here in this section um, teach us much about your character and our right response to you. Look forward to this time that we now gather to, to worship you as, as, as a gathered people. Be glorified through our praise. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.